you are listening to Cine Chill, and if you're interested in getting into video production and making promotional videos, then the next guest is for you. His name's Chris Hunter. He's been doing this for a long time, and he's going to be sharing some real good tips. Since 2013, Chris has made more than 70 promotional videos for various businesses. He's worked with clients such as Moe and Chandon, Audrain Automobile Museum, and New York City Skyline Sightseeing Tours. So the guy knows his stuff, and I'm really happy to say that he's joining us today. Chris, how did it all begin? You know, I started out as a camera guy, you know, doing still photography, you know, since 2000 or, you know, 1999 back then. So, uh, you know, my background was always with, um, you know, with photography and, and, and graphic design, but you know, I've also I've always taken a, a camera oriented, uh, at, you know, direction towards the projects that I do. And, you know, I think for me, it's like, you know, lighting and, and uh, cinematography and camera movement and all those things are, um, you know, they're so encompassing. And there's so much that you can learn within that, that you always have to have an open mind towards, you know, expanding your skill set. So that's something I'm, you know, still improving on, always trying to, you know, just better my ability in regards to those core aspects. But I think that, you know, for me, it's um, the last over the last two or three years, you know, I've been really trying to focus on how to grow as a business and how to translate from the projects that got me into videography into projects that allow me to, you know, make a profit on an annual basis and how to attract clients and all that sort of stuff. So are you more interested in the commercial side of filmmaking as opposed to like narrative filmmaking? You know, I think I I would say that currently that that's the track that I'm on um, because I realized that, you know, in order to grow my skill set in order to use the equipment that I want. The budgets just weren't there for the um, short film and narrative film stuff for me. So, you know, I took a a very short um, path down trying to, you know, co-produce a narrative feature film and, you know, there was a series of, of pitfalls and, and things that, you know, were presented during that experience that I, I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot about my skill set and things that I can do, but I learned just how hard it is to produce, um, you know, a, a feature or even a really well done short on a limited budget. You know, and it's where I was at with it was, you know, I was really putting money into the project. So, you know, not only was I not being compensated until some deferred date, but I was also coming out of pocket in a lot of ways to help just make the whole project, uh, you know, get off the ground. And it, you know, overall I would still rate it as a positive experience for me, but it was a real eye opener in regards to just how much dedication, time and money it takes to, uh, produce narrative film content. The path that you're on is clearly commercial, like TV commercials, uh, video commercials for, you know, businesses, that type of thing, like promotional videos. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's really like web marketing content. That's, you know, that's really where I'm at right now. I haven't, you know, I've done some stuff that was later edited and used uh, for like 15 second spots uh, on broadcast, but that's really not, you know, that hasn't been the focus of what I've where I've been, you know, in the last couple of years, um, you know, for me, it's like small to medium businesses that want to create marketing content, video content that they know is going to be used. You know, it's all social media stuff. It's all on the website, that, that sort of a thing. So for me, it's like, 
a building block to get to a point with uh, higher end commercial um, projects, you know, and just to touch back on the narrative thing, you know, I still am interested, I think at some point in, in pursuing that at a later date, but for me where I'm at, you know, four or five years into doing video production, I felt that commercial work was going to get me more experience um, and it has to be sustainable. It has to be something where, you know, you, you can't just be, you know, working a, another job, buying equipment to support um, trying to, you know, do filmmaking. To me, it was like, I, this has to be sustainable and I have to have income coming in to, you know, cover the expense of, of the equipment and the, all the, you know, the, the pieces of uh, equipment, software, you know, all the various expenses that you have. So I said, okay, let me, you know, let me focus on this get the equipment, get, you know, get um, my teeth cut more. So I'm, I'm just more experienced and I'm compensated for my time as I learn. And then maybe at some point down the road, you know, would be open to going back to um, narrative film work. And, you know, I would like to actually experience working with, uh, you know, bigger crews on larger productions. I think there's something to that that's, you know, very, uh, very appealing. And, you know, with the larger number of people, you can really have greater results as well. To touch on what you said about, you know, the narrative is kind of like your end goal. And, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways it comes down to the content that, that we're shooting. Right. And it's the like the creative expression you have with narrative filmmaking is so expansive and rewarding when you do it well, you know, and I, but, you know, to me, it's like you were saying where, well, I can work a job I hate and, you know, maybe make some decent money so I can afford equipment, you know, to do my real passion, you know, but to me, it's like if, if I'm behind a camera or if I'm editing, I'm still, you know, I'm still in the trade that I want to be in. So, you know, there's subject matter for commercial filmmakers that, you know, it can range from really exciting, awesome clients that are doing just incredible things that are, you know, you would love to do, you would pay to do, you know, and then they're all the way to like very bland and boring, you know, uh, you know, like lawyer depositions and, and things of that nature. Right. So but to me, it was always like if I'm behind a camera, then, you know, I enjoy that more than a lot of other work that I could be doing, you know, so it was like it, it's still rewarding in the sense that you're doing something that you love, you know, even if the subject matter isn't the most exciting. With your commercial work, are you, do you work with anyone else or is it solely, you know, just yourself? I I do work with a couple other key people. Uh, I I don't hire like large crews or anything like that. Um, I have one main partner that I work with and, uh, you know, this is someone who's been a friend of mine for years uh, and he does, um, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff with like gimbals and any aerial equipment and things like that. So he, um, he comes in, you know, in a very specific niche, like he doesn't operate uh, any other cameras or anything or do sound or anything. He really just helps with, uh, gimbal and aerial stuff. So that's obviously like a key component to have, right. So he, to have someone who can just do that. And then, um, you know, everything else I pretty much just run top to bottom, you know, uh, as far as, you know, operating cameras, set up, tear down, setting up the lighting, you know, audio design, all the editing post-production. Um, I pretty much, you know, handle that. And, you know, at some point I would like to expand and to be able to, you know, have slightly larger crews. Um, cause I, I feel that you can just, you, you can, you can get the, the results you want more sometimes if you just put the people in place and trust them that they can do what they need to do as opposed to trying to manage each aspect a hundred percent on your own. 
Right. So I think it's, it's, you know, that's, that's something I want to look into down the road, but of course that's all tied into budget. Right. So it's like when you're transitioning from, I would just do any work. I, I'll, I'll do any job for a couple hundred bucks just to, just to get the experience and, and, and get some work, you know? Um, so you, you know, you transition out of that into, you know, better budgeted projects, you know, and then the, to me, the next level is to where you can support, you know, having a crew of people, you, you can support having multi-day shoots. Maybe it's a three or four day shoot to achieve the results that you want to get. You know, you can bring in a colorist, you can do the things that, um, you know, are harder to do on those, you know, maybe budgets between like one and $5,000. How do you find the marketing for what you do? Is it referrals? Is it word of mouth? Do you do much on Facebook? You know, I think for me, and I think this is the case for a lot of, you know, creative professionals where they, they offer their services, uh, you know, it's a, a ton of word of mouth It's it's and referrals from previous clients. Um, you know, that's definitely the number one avenue where new business comes in. I think it's difficult for creatives to handle the in the to get incoming marketing leads. It's just not something that they're um necessarily the you know the best suited for because I'll let you you have to wear you have to wear multiple personality hats in the sense that you have to be outgoing if you're gonna do you know cold calling and uh you know just outbound leads and trying to you know approach these businesses and then you have to be you know, somewhat introverted to, you know, work on editing and, and, you know, handle all that. So it's like almost like two different personality types that have to come together in order to create a successful business like that. Um, so, you know, in a lot of cases, I think like yourself, you find one or two key people that open some doors for you and allow you to grow from that sort of beginner stage where, you know, you're char- you're, ch- you're just charging a couple hundred dollars, you know, less than $500 for projects and you're just doing anything you can to get work. So you elevate above that slightly, you know, mainly, you know, through, uh, for me, it's been a couple key c- contacts, you know, and it's always particular industries too. Like you're saying, it's, you know, it's not going to be, you know, people just in, you know, a dozen different industries, you're going to, for me, it was uh, real estate, uh, you know, uh, and also um, a, a little bit of mortgage lenders and that sort of thing. You know, that's been something that in the last 12 months has, you know, has materialized for me. And it's, you know, it's one job leads to another job in that niche. And then you find a couple more, um, you know, so that's one thing that, is I, you know, I totally agree with is you have to have some scope to your work so that you can say, you know, cause you're, you're going to do a dozen jobs, say in a certain period, if, if five or six of them can be for one particular industry, it's just going to strengthen your appeal to other um, businesses, right. In that, that same industry. So there's no question that, you know, finding a niche can help, um, you know, and then I, you know, I find there's also a snowball effect to a certain degree, right? So as you, gain more visibility and you get more referrals and more clients, it's exponential growth. So you could go from saying, wow, you know, things are picking up a little bit, you know, to four to six months saying, wow, I got 10 new referrals in the past couple months and I've got three or four new active, uh, you know, uh, clients with projects going on. And, you know, that's kind of where I found myself out in 2016, which is great because, as your time becomes more scarce, it becomes more valuable. So you can uh, afford to start to raise your pricing there, get up to a level where, you know, you can say, okay, you know, 1500 or 2000 is, is the minimum project I'm going to look at anymore because I've gotten to a point where, where my time is booked enough. So that's, you know, that's a great feeling. And then, you know, but I think you're, you know, you still have a, a goal in mind of, I want bigger jobs, 
but I want them to be profitable. You know, that's that's always a, a tough point is bigger job uh, doesn't ne- always necessarily mean bigger profit, you know. And so that's that's one thing I, I learned that a lot um, working on website development and, and projects of that nature where you can say, OK, if this if this job I can get in and out in a, in a couple days and be done with it and then move on. Sometimes that is better than this big ongoing, you know, month or two month long project that, you know, kind of is never ending. And sure, there's a nice check at the end, but how many months did it take to, you know, to get there? It's very hard to get in touch with people and say, I'm the best at what I do. You know what I mean? I, I, I do, you know, and it's it's like I was saying before, it's like you have to wear those two different hats like that. The outside salesperson is just so utterly different than the creative editing uh, planning person. You know, it's like it's it's like two totally different personalities. And I think, you know, that's why, I, you know, um, another person who I recently started working with is uh a woman who I, you know, I've known for years uh, through different uh, previous jobs that I've had. And she does, you know, marketing work. And so it's so like website copywriting and things like that. And she's helping to redesign a website. So she brought me in to, you know, shoot just a very small project for uh, an accounting firm. So, you know, but she's, she's like that outgoing, uh, salesy sort of person who, you know, it really is like out there talking to all these different businesses and stuff. So it's great to have someone like that in your corner, you know, where, where it's like, they, they have this, you know, Rolodex of contacts with different businesses. And, you know, it's, it, that's the kind of relationship you want to establish is the kind of in between people that, um, work with lots of different business owners and already have those relationships. Those are always great, um, you know, great people to, to, uh, have business uh, relationships with, you know, that can really help. And, uh, you know, I think because it, it takes a little bit of pressure off on having that pipeline full of, um, potential clients, you know, and also one thing I will say is that, you know, I think a lot of creative people, don't understand the sales process at all, you know, and I, I kind of do, you know, like I am by no means a marketing or sales expert, but you got to spend at least some amount of time to just understand like what the sales process consists of, you know, if you have what's called like a funnel. So you say, okay, I want to have X amount of income. I need to have, you know, if whatever my monthly goal of income is, I should have 500% more of that in a sales funnel. So I can say, okay, I'm going to close on, 20 to 30 percent of these people on a monthly basis and i need i need you know five to ten times what i want to actually make just in this funnel so it's like if you you know if you don't have an understanding of even the basics of what a sales process consists of then it's going to be really difficult to actually go out there and achieve results as well as be able to do the work on the back end and and the, and the production and all that stuff as well you know so at least if you if you kind of know okay i have a sense for what has to happen i can create a little bit of a sales structure i have you know, and there's so many free tools nowadays too, which is great. There's so many ways to, you know, you can with everything, um, you know, uh, website-based services. Uh, I use a service called um, Insightly. So, you know, it's just a very simple way to like record a lead. So you just say, okay, this person is a lead that I have. This is what the project is potentially worth, and this is the next step that has to be taken. And I, you know, you either have to follow up with them, or you're waiting to hear back from them, or whatever this, the status of the lead is, right? So, you know, free tool, easy to use, really helpful for business owners and for creative people to try to bring more structure to the sales process and also to like project management and, and things like that as well. You know, and, and that's the thing too is. If you if you come into a commercial video project, 
you know, just saying, oh, I'll shoot whatever you want, you know, whatever, whatever you got, I'll shoot it and we'll, we'll make something. It, you know, that's not necessarily going to see a, a valuable return to, to your client. You know, it's like you have to really put yourself in their situation and say, you know, if if this marketing tool is beneficial to my business, I will spend money again on it because it, it's going to result in, in a good return on, on on the investment. You know, but if you know, if they create a video once there's and there's no return and there's no um you know, there's no real uh, impact from it, then obviously you're not setting yourself up for like a long term um, relationship with them. So, you know, I, you know, to me, I always take the approach of like whatever I can do to on the first project with a new client, just make them as happy as they can be. So they walk away out of the situation saying, you know, not only did I get a, a good product that I'm happy with at the end of it, but the whole entire experience was good. There was good communication, you know, I, I, you know, and even if you don't do a ton of business with them again, it's, it's just so worth it because you know, the the number of times I've gotten referrals from people for doing that, it's always paid off on the extra little bit of work you might have to put in to, to get that response from. So how would you say businesses can benefit from having a video? The visual, the medium itself is sort of the culmination of every other kind of media. Okay. You have, you have visual, you have movement, you have audio, you have color, you have all the things that go into any, all the other forms of media that exist from print advertising through web, through radio. So it's like the culmination of visual media, you know, so there's no other medium that can tell a story like video can, you know, I think that and you have to use it in conjunction with traditional marketing. I think that's an important thing that people need to consider is, okay, I created, you know, amazing video content. How do you distribute it? How do people see it? How do you get the word out that it exists? That's where you turn to your other more traditional forms of media like web advertising or a print campaign to draw traffic to your website where you display this video content, you know, and, you know, so that's all assuming that you have high quality video content in the first place, though. Right. So that's why it's so important that I think when, you know, a lot of people I've seen actually create. I think a negative brand image through poor video content and, and, you know, poorly done video productions. Um, you know, so I think you can, in a lot of cases with social media, you can get by as a small business doing stuff with like your iPhone. And honestly, it can be acceptable for some messaging, but if, you know, if you're out there trying to create a brand image through video content, it's got to reflect the quality of what your company does. It's got, it's got to be equal quality. You know, you can't have, you know, a great law firm or whatever your business is and then shoddy video work to represent that, you know? So I think if, if these companies work with the right people, create the right video content and market it in the right way, it can leave it, leave an impact on their potential customers that is really difficult to do in any other way. I mean, ultimately, a business that comes to well comes to me or comes to you, they don't actually want a video. They're not if they wanted a video, they could just put anything on there. What they want is they want sales. They want that's what they want. All right, let's take an example. Dog groomers. You just moved into a a new location that you don't really know anything about there and you want to get your dog groomed so you type into google dog groomers in this area and one page comes up and it's got no video and it's got loads of text you go next go on to it and it's got a video in the central screen you press play it shows 
outside the business. The next thing it shows the owner, you think, oh, they look okay. They look like a friendly person. I trust them with my dog. And then it shows a few customers giving testimonials saying, oh, you know, we bring our dogs here all the time and there's never any trouble. They love it. And they'll do extras that they, they don't really need to do. And before you know it, you're going, yeah, that's the one for me. Now, the chances are the business previous to that might just be as good, but you, because you don't want to spend, you know, an hour reading through all the um, through all the the type and the content, you watch the video and it's done. You go, well, that's that's the one for me. It's the same for, and this is a business that I think every video uh, producer should, well, apart from in my area, should aim for. Um, dentists, if you can find a client with high value or high volume, they're the people to go for. And dentists they are making a fortune. Like I was at my dentist the other week and they told me that, you know, clients that have like reconstructive surgery spend on average £30,000. They can afford, they can afford a £5,000 video, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, you're right. You have to, you know, that's, you know, and and in the demographics of who you're approaching, of course, you know, yeah, that's a huge, you know, if I, like just for instance, when I first started, I did a ton of music video work, right? Because it was just accessible to me. I, I knew some musicians and it was something I could do. It was sort of low pressure. There wasn't a ton of, uh, you know, it wasn't this, you know, live or die situation, this big project if I, if I don't, if it doesn't go right. So, you know, I did a lot of music video stuff early on and I, you know, I continued to target musicians for a number of years and it was like trying to get blood from a stone, you know, in most cases it's, you know, there's, there's no money there that, you know, and it's like, these are hungry people. They wanted, they want to succeed in what they're doing. But, you know, you have to be realistic unless you're working with like record label, major, you know, level industry musicians, it's the budget just isn't there. And that's like a super, you know, competitive field to, uh, you know, industry within video production to do the high end music video work. So, um, you know, yeah, pinpointing the industries that you want to try to go after makes a huge difference. I think that, um, you know, I, th- I think that when you, you have to, obviously it's geographical based too, cause you're going to, you know, you're only going to, you only have so much square mileage around you that you can find clients in, you know, you're just starting out. You're not going to be traveling hundreds of miles to pay jobs. It just generally doesn't work like that. I mean, you, you certainly could, but you know, I think it's you know important to look at your geographical area and say, you know, what industries around me are, um, you know, make sense to approach. Like you said, what was a high volume and high value, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, that's, that's, you said it right there, you know, that's, that's a key thing. And then, you know, one thing that also, you know, and I don't know if this applies to, you know, to dentists or not, but you can also look for clients in adjacent industries. So it's loosely connected industries. Like for example, I, I got a ton of referrals doing real estate work and some of that has led to clients within the mortgage industry, which are, are, those jobs that I've gotten in the mortgage mortgage industry have been more profitable than the real estate jobs, you know? So it's like one thing leads to another, you know, and through putting some skin in the game, get, getting your name out there, getting some work out there, you can get adjacent industries that are tied into each other. And then that's can kind of become like a, uh, a niche that doesn't have too narrow of a defined aspect to it. If someone was starting out and they wanted to take your path what advice would you give someone who's starting out in commercial video? You have to know your value of what you're worth and you have to be honest with that. So you're not going to, you're probably not going to start out doing five figure jobs. You know, you're probably going to start out 
trying to get whatever work you can. And I think that's a necessary step in of uh, a commercial video producer's evolution is you're, you're gonna, you have to create the work and you, you, you have to grow as a, as a filmmaker, as a commercial filmmaker, you have to grow and become, you have to grow and gain the value that you, you perceive yourself to have. So it's like, okay, I think I'm worth, you know, $5,000 a project or whatever, but you, you might not be, you know, you might be worth a thousand or less. So you have to say, okay, I'm willing to get out there and, and spend time to grow as a filmmaker, to get the volume of work that I need so that I can turn around in a year or two and say, okay, this is what I've achieved. This is the work that I've done. I can look back at that and I can use that in a reel to then show this to future prospective clients and you can demonstrate the value as in yourself as a commercial filmmaker. So I think that's the most important thing is to understand what your value really is, understand where you are, where you want to get to, and then what are the steps you're going to take to gain the experience and the higher sharpened skill set that you need to increase your value as a commercial filmmaker. And, you know, the fact is you do have to do some free jobs sometimes just to get a foot in the door. Um, I know I did, but you have to treat the free job the same as you would treat a $5,000 or £5,000 job. You're, you're only as strong as your weakest piece of work. Yeah, I, I, that's something I say to my clients all the time. I say, you know, your video is going to be great because I'm my marketing is based on my last job and I still get bookings now. Uh, but yeah, you have to treat every single job with the same professional attitude and the same quality. Yeah, of course, you mightn't afford the you mightn't be able to afford the best gear at this point, but that shouldn't stop you. My path went from I did a job for a barber's for next to nothing. Um, that was a four day shoot um, because, you know, and this is what called learning on the job. I filmed an interview. We didn't turn off the, the lights in the salon and we had strobing on the footage and it was like, great lesson learned. That will never happen again. After we'd done that job, I got into this small gym and the way I got a meeting with them was I used their Twitter network hour. I don't know if they have have them where you are, but it's like, like hashtag northwest hour which is where i live and it was just businesses talking to each other and i saw a gym with this virtual reality video of their gym and i messaged them saying that's really cool that you've adopted video have you ever considered a promotional video i thought i've got nothing to lose everything to gain and then i get an inbox to my direct message saying i actually look after the social media for this gym and i know they are looking for a video so they organized a meeting i went to meet the md of this gym and it was quite a big gym um and i showed him my video i did for a barbers and he was like that's that's great if you can get that across in this gym then i think you know we'll do something really good and i was there for an hour and i'm not a salesman at all but i was just telling him what i was honest saying look this is where i'm at i've got experience in filming i've done you know, I've done all this this work, but I'm now doing this new product, which is promotional videos in a certain way, using narrative storytelling. And he was he went for it. I mean, it was heavy discount to, compared to what I charge now. Um, but then, then off the back of that, that's when this marketing agency got in touch, and so it went from cheap job for a barber's, a, a middle of the road job, uh, uh, price wise for a gym, a local gym 
to working for a national gym and now working for another multi-site gym. So, you know, what I'd say to people who are starting out, the process doesn't have to take two years. It just depends on, you know, the quality of your work and putting yourself out there. Now, I know a lot of people will say, you were just kind of lucky there, but that it's not lucky. It was just, I did something. I could have just made that Barber's video and sat on it and been like, why isn't the work coming in? But I actively just, and it was literally, I spent one day on this Twitter network and it just kind of rolled from there. So that, that path can happen quicker than you think. Right. Sure. Sure. And it's, you know, it's great to be able to see the direct line from those okay it's like i did this for next to nothing i did this for an okay for and then this i finally had this full budgeted project you know so it's cool to be able to see how one one thing that you do that you're you know you're not sure gee is this really going to pay off in the long run does and can translate into bigger projects down the road do you have any influences in your work like any particular directors or any particular cinematographers you kind of aspire to or i mean you know there are in the sense of like as a consumer of film there's certainly some people that i look up to you know uh and it's 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 no one like surprising or shocking like i love kubrick um i love scorsese i love um you know christopher nolan i think does some amazing stuff um as far as you know, as far as what inspires me, you know, I, I wouldn't really say that, you know, this particular cinematographer or this particular director inspired me in, in, in what I do. I I tend to look more to things that maybe aren't even film related. I like to look for inspiration in other forms of media. I like I like I'll, I'll I'll see something that just catches my eye in a certain way and say, wow, that's really cool. I think I need to that sparks an idea, you know, into saying, so how can I do something film related with that? Um, so, I, you know, I think to me, it's like I tend to look for inspiration um, in just like every day to day life, every piece of media that you see, every um, everything that you see that's ever been you know designed or is from a graphic design perspective, I'm always trying to look into that and just find new ways, new angles, new things that you can do. You know, and I think also um, what's really important is to have a like just a, a, a grasp and an understanding of the fundamentals of graphic design and visual communications. That's something that I think can translate so much into um, doing this type of work, you know, uh, promo video, commercial work videos, where if you're going to handle them from beginning to end, um, you know, you really need to be able to do the post-production side as far as titling, as far as creating graphics, working in Photoshop, being comfortable with that sort of thing. I think that's so huge. And so, so much of the video content that I see is like well shot and, and it looks great, but maybe they, the, the titles look super basic or, you know, some, something to that effect like that, you know? So I think that's something that not to get too far off topic from your, um, your question, but, uh, you know, I think that's something that I think a lot of people that want to better their skill set can, uh, can look into. When a client comes to you with a brief, what's your process to, you know, they say, we really like what you do. Um, give us some ideas and, you know, so what is your like creative process with, with the production? Um, I, you know, I always start by trying to determine, you know, what is the end goal of the video? Is it, is it to build brand awareness for them? Is it to have a viewer take a particular action? You know, what, what is their end result of this video? And then once you can determine that you can figure out how you're going to make it happen and you can, 
go through all the steps necessary to just try to make sure that the the whatever the the intended result of the video you achieve that you know so it can vary so much and but as long as you can specify that at the beginning of the project and you it's all about getting that information out of the client i think that's the most important thing is you can you know clients can range from having detailed you know direct input on everything they want to see to having no idea what the hell they want at all right so it's like you get this total range of of um, personality types as business owners you know for the most part when i encounter a business owner they have some sense of what they want they've probably seen another competitor's video that they can point me to and say okay this is kind of what we're aiming for but we want to maybe do this slightly different or whatever um so i think that you know the number one thing is determine what the client wants, what's the goal of the video. Once you do that, then you can just move through all the motions of, you know, picking locations, all the pre-production stuff that has to go down as far as what's the scope of it, what's the budget, what's realistic. Along the way, you know, what I found the most important thing is communication with clients. That's the number one thing that I find is going to benefit your relationships with them. And at the end of the day is going to make them happy. You can, you can screw up, you can do things wrong. You can make mistakes. You should try to avoid doing that, but those things can happen as long as you like are honest and open with your communication and you don't um, try to hide things or you don't try to like delay the communication when things go wrong you'll be fine. You'll, the the customer will respond well. They'll, they'll understand. You got to communicate and whether it's phone, email, text, whatever, however they prefer to talk to you is how you have to do it. So if it's someone who's calling you 10 times a day, you just, you got to do it and you got to say, okay, I'm I'm willing to do it because at the end of this project, the client is going to work away and say, man, I was a thousand percent happy with everything that happened. Um, you know, so client, client retention, making the clients happy, and then you have to balance that with what is the best product in your mind from a creative person that you want to see as well, right? So it's like keep the client happy, try to make everything go smooth, steer them in the right direction, and then end up with a with a product that hopefully when it's done meets that first criteria of what is the result we want people to take and hopefully gets people to take those steps. And what what about experience on on a set or on job like what problems have you had that at the time seem like this is the biggest problem ever this is such a headache and how did you overcome it so we have had you know so many things like that i mean and it's you know to you can plan as much as you want going into a shoot there's always going to be something that goes wrong or doesn't go the way you plan it to and the the difference between being successful or not is how you adapt in that situation. Right. So, you know, we've had, um, we've, we've done shoots like with aerial stuff and, you know, like a very common fa- phantom Four. it's, uh, you know, used, we use it for months and months. And then we go to a shoot one time, everything's fine. We, we use all the equipment the day before it, the controller will not communicate with the, with the, the phantom, no, no matter what we do, we, we are like on the location where we're, trying to update the firmware for the controller and and the the bird at the same time. And and we're, you know, we're just like going through all these steps trying to make this thing happen. You know, we end up figuring it out and we just slightly rearranged our schedule a little bit to make it happen. But the, you know, what was important is like we stayed confident and we didn't panic or freak out in front of the client. That's always a huge thing is you got to understand like the, the client doesn't know anything about what you're doing 
in almost every job you're going to go into, you can tell the client anything you want. And, and they're, they're, they're honestly, they're not going to know from a technical standpoint, whether what you're saying is correct or not. So what's important is to remain in control. The objective of any shoot is to get the footage you need to complete the edit. So if something doesn't go right, you need to be able to pivot quickly, make an adjustment, come up with a new plan and stay confident on the on set and on location that you're in, you're in control, you're in charge and things are things are going to get done the way they need to get done. Um, you know, obviously, if you like completely don't plan the project right, you may have bigger problems that you can't simply um adjust for but if you you know as long as you take the right level of planning to go in so you know your equipment is functional you're not like showing up with like without batteries or something like that you know um as long as you take the basic level of planning you need to, you know the, the key is to be able to um adapt quickly on set you know i and and one thing that i will say has helped a lot with that was doing um the low budget narrative film work because that's where you're just like, there's so many variables and you're trying to create a much bigger um, production there. So it's, it's really intense and you really learn how to be quick on your feet, how to, how to make quick decisions to make the most out of your time. So you don't lose, you know, valuable production time. So what resources would you recommend for anyone who's coming into this game? One of the biggest resources I've had personally is Facebook groups. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, love it or hate it, social media, you can't deny the usefulness of these these uh, groups on Facebook that are very specialized for different topics. Um, that for me was just a huge resource. Like I went into filmmaking in 2011 was when I shot my first project and edited it and it was a music video. And you know, I went from that from being just totally green, like having done a lot of photography work in the past, you know, some professional photography and, and been a very passionate photographer, but being totally green with video production. And I, you know, educated myself through through the Internet, through YouTube videos, through tutorials, through all the standard things you would think of. Um, but it was really useful to be able to go to some of these groups where you can get feedback from very seasoned, established filmmakers that are have 20, 30 years of experience, you know, and, and not everyone is going to be on that level, but you know, they're certainly out there and they're willing to help you. And, uh, you know, I got just for instance, like I had a certain cut of one of my first cinematography reels and it was very boring and repetitive. And I showed a lot of the same um, jobs in a row. And I, you know, I posted that and I asked for some feedback and I, you know, I got four or five people that just were so helpful, you know, with that, um, re-editing process on that. They gave just great advice. And when I came out of it, I had a really great reel that was cut and, and it was great to see the evolution of that, you know, with total strangers, just helping you out and giving you, you know, really good, like sound critical advice. That's, that's an important thing is be open to criticism. You can't think everything you do is perfect and you're that you're just the best filmmaker in the world. And, and anyone who says different is crazy. It's like, you got to understand, you, you know, there's always someone better than you. There's always someone more skilled with more experience who you can learn from, you know? So it's like, you know, you have to keep your, an open mind to criticism. That's also, I think is a huge, huge, uh, thing for people who are just starting out, you know, you have to be willing to take constructive criticism if it's coming from the perspective of someone who's experienced and has knowledge on that. What part of the process do you most enjoy? You know, I think it's production, you know, it's, it's, it's being on set or on a location, seeing everything come together that you, that you had planned, 
um, you know, the pressure is on, you're out there, you're working, you got all your equipment with you. It's the most, I think it's the most, uh, sort of nerve wracking, but it's also the most rewarding for me is, is at the end of a day of production, when you go home and you say, man, we really nailed it. We really got all the, all the shots that we needed. Everyone was happy. The client's happy. And then you get to sit down, you know, and then I think a distant second would be looking at the footage and, and the post-production and editing process. Chris, thanks for joining us today, and we appreciate your time. Thank you, Simon. Uh, I wish you a lot of success with Cine Chill. You know, I've listened to a couple of the other podcasts. I think you have a great thing going here, and uh, I look forward to, you know, hearing more of the podcasts you guys release. Thanks very much, Chris. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's show, and I hope it's given you some good ideas if you want to get into the video production game. Um, if you want to check out some of Chris's work, you can see it on our site on cinechill.com. And you can also see a bio about Chris there, and you can contact him as well. Um, we shall be back next week with another filmmaker. And once again, thank you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, and we shall catch you next week.